Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to the second edition of Box to Box on Macquarie Radio NTS News Talk Sport. The show that, as the name implies, covers everything across the proverbial worldwide football pitch. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley, and we've got two hours of football coming your way. First up tonight, Socceroo legend John Cosmina will join us to dissect the Socceroos' performance against Kyrgyzstan in Canberra. Program regular Mark Van Aken from the Green and Gold Army and resident Newshound will be in shortly to wrap up the week in the World Game. And our A-League analyst, Notts County man and 250-game veteran of the Victorian Premier League, Dean Hennessy, will be in to look at the A-League and last weekend's FF. FA Cup final. We've got the Western Sydney Wanderers Dario Vitisic along for a chat about how his new club is travelling and in the second hour Simon Manning from Umbrella will join us for a chat about the latest in the football business in light of the Optus EPL rights deal and how it's going to affect the A-League rights. Australia's most respected sports medic Peter Bruckner is going to put some perspective into the decision of the US Soccer Federation's decision to ban heading in the junior game and of course our EPL wrap with former Brighton and Hove Albion insider Ben Soro Perez is a segment you won't want to miss. Before we wrap it up, stoppage time, we'll take us out with Mark Van Aken. Edge, good to see you, mate. Great to be back, Rob, and we're smiling. 3-0, in the three points in the bag, 3-0 last night. Fantastic uh, result, and I uh, can't wait to speak to Cozzy all about it. We're going to learn what he thinks and uh, where to from here for the Socceroos. So the Socceroos got the job done last night in Canberra against Kyrgyzstan. John Cosmina, welcome. How did you see it? Um, it was not a, an easy game, um, but Australia looked very, very confident. And to be honest, 3-0, I think, probably in the end, flattered the, the Kyrgyzstanis. So, um, you know, Timmy Cale probably could have had um, got the double figures. The team could have almost got the double figures. It, um, look, their keeper kept them out in the first half um, with two or three really good saves. Some fairly desperate defending at times, uh, but the, the opposition really never threatened um, the Socceroos, the pressure that we put on them, you know, from the middle of the park and further forward to uh, win the ball back early was immense. And uh, look, I've got to uh, say, make a special mention of uh, Bailey Wright and Trent Sainsbury. I think um, that was a really good defensive effort from the pair of them. They snuffed anything out before um, anything, any pop- possible chances eventuated. And uh, look, it's good to have Sainsbury back in the side. If you remember, he had a great Asian Cup. And uh, he's a quality player. And, uh, with no disrespect to Matt Speranovich, I think he's a little bit quicker. And um, that made a bit of a difference as well. What did you think about James Meredith getting a start? Um, obviously, Jason... Really impressed, actually. Yeah. He's, um, you know, we've been talking about the left-back spot for Australia for a long, mm. long time. And Jason Davidson's done um, a reasonable job there. But this kid knows how to defend as well as get forward. And he's got a, a very, very cultured left foot. And um, he's a thinking player as well. He doesn't just bomb on and want to whip things in. He um, he pulls the ball back. He's comfortable on the ball. He turns out and he maintains possession well. So um, it's going to be an interesting battle now that he's had his first game with uh, with Jason Davidson to um, to see and um, you know as his Bates as well uh, to see just what Andrew's going to do about a, a more permanent left back. Um, starting eleven player and the right back spot McGowan. I mean, was that a surprise for you? No, not really. Um, Tarek Elric's a little bit out of form at uh, at club end. Um, He didn't have a great game against Jordan a few weeks back. Uh, McGowan's done the job there. He played the entire World Cup there, although he is a central defender. But um, you know, and he probably plays right back like that sometimes as well. But 
he, uh, he can get forward, not as often as um, I think probably Ange would prefer with um, with his fullbacks. But look, he does a job, and um, at this level, I think against this kind of opposition, he's, he's quite comfortable. Nice to see uh, Millie Adenak, uh, even if it was from the spot, uh, get a little bit of confidence back in there. Well, he had a, actually had a really good game while he was on the park. Um, you know, he, he did boss the midfield around, as, as um, Andy Harper mentioned in the commentary. And, um, you know, I was quite impressed with his distribution. He, his energy levels were good. He, he looked, you know, enthusiastic. And maybe the, the break from the, uh, the weekly grind of, of the EPL has done him the world of good. Exactly, and we can't underestimate the importance of a seasoned professional like the uh, the captain, especially given the circumstances where so many young players are being blooded. We we need guys like him for for the younger guys to look up to and be led from a professional point of view. You know, going through the travelling routine, turning up at the game, putting the performance on on the park. You know, the Kyrgyzstanis they were they were no complete mugs. They'd taken us uh, for uh, uh, to a pretty close game in Bishkek uh, a couple of weeks ago. The Snow Leopards two one. They uh, they weren't going to win that game, but uh, they did themselves justice and then to defend the way they did in the first half and nearly go to half time uh, with a uh, a clean sheet was a, a good effort on their behalf so uh, so Yedinak and, and and those senior players they're critical to the yeah the, they are and um, I think that's why um, and even Bailey Wright you know I don't know if it's Saints be a rap but I think Bailey Wright's a, he's developing into a very very good um, national team centre back not just a, a solid club player and um you know he does a he does a good job. He's tough. He reads the game well. He gets stuck in. Um, you know Timmy Kale was was effervescent um, last night. He was um, he was buzzing and as I said could have had more than um, the goal that he got. Well more. But um, Aaron Moy and he's still relatively young by uh, by comparison to the two blokes we've been talking about. But he was had an outstanding game. Um, tell us about uh, uh, the forward structure, um, the, f- the front third of the pitch. Um, we spoke last week about Aaron Moy and the, you know, the riches that Ange has got at disposal and the, the sort of mix that can develop. Uh, how did you well, see? How do you see that? Uh... Look, Ange plays. He plays narrow up mm. front. Uh, the width comes from the fullbacks. Um, look, in the first half, while Tommy Urich um, was on, it was almost a four-four-two with Urich yeah. and um, and Kale up front, and um, you know, Maslowongo was you know maybe a a left or a right side of player, but he spent a lot more time central with Aaron Moy. So it was like a, um, a disguised 4 4 um, But look, one of the aspects of Ange, the way Ange plays, is he likes mobility and the players actually interchange position a fair bit. And we saw that when Nathan Burns came on. He spent a lot of time central. He, he had his moments out wide. Um, but it was a good, some good combination stuff. But I think what was probably more evident last night than has been in uh, the past was the penetration. We made a lot of good forward runs and uh, this time the pass has found the players. You know, you look at um, Nathan Burns probably should have scored. Mark Milligan should have scored definitely with the rebound but there was a great forward run from Burns in the inside left channel and there was an even better pass, a perfectly timed pass from Aaron Moy and uh, Milligan should have put the rebound away. So um, we actually got in between their defenders and in behind them a few times as well with some really good penetrating passes. Um, that's a, an aspect of, of how Ange plays. Um, you know, the Kyrgyz probably weren't the, the best side defensively, um, but, you know, having said that, we we made them look poor as well because our, our tempo was good and, you know, the weight of the passes, the timing of the passes and 
and just the intensity that, and the speed that we played at um, was, was great, and it, it put them on the back foot the whole time. It sure did, Cosy. And I don't want to focus on the negatives, given it was a, a great result, but uh, Ange did have an absolute rip at the pitch before the game. How do you see that? Whether the pitch was to the standard required or not is a moot point. The real question for me is whether Ange ought to be saying those sorts of things when a critical game like this is in the offing and whether he needs to, not not for the local domestic organisers, more for, for his own team. Now, clearly it didn't seem to matter in the end, but uh, but is that the sort of thing that's that's necessary? Can he deal with those things behind closed doors? The pitches are a lot, a lot better now. I mean, the pitch at the stadium in Canberra last night was um, was much better than, than I ever played on a Canberra, I can tell you, <laughs> back in the old days. But... Um, yeah, look, it, it's probably you know I was surprised that um, you know the the it was it was as vociferous as he was. Um, you know they played on worse. Um, Brisbane, for example, in the Asian Cup, there were a lot of uh, there was a bit of controversy about that, but um, it didn't affect the result, did it? And it certainly didn't affect the way that we played last night with the amount of passing and the. Uh, and the, the you know just our possession run. I mean, at half time, I think the stats were like seventy-one to twenty-nine percent. We'd had, I think, just off the top of my head, about fourteen attempts at goal um, to one, and you know twenty-four to well, I think three entries into the penalty area or passes into the penalty area. So um, if the pitch was bad, <laughs> to see what would happen on a good one. Well, wonder what was, what it's going to be like in Dhaka in Bangladesh on Tuesday night. That's. The next stop for the Socceroos, obviously a lot of talk about the, the security situation. Um, obviously, we need to go. Um, there's a whole heap of reasons why. Um, that should be a, a relatively comfortable game, obviously, depending on um, depending on the pitch, potentially. But we're still sitting in second spot on the table. Um, 13, 12 points, I think we are. 13, one point behind uh, Jordan. So, look, um, Cosy, we've got to go to Bangladesh and we've got to get three points. Yeah, of course we do. And look, I can't see how he won't. I mean, maybe the pitch won't be. Um, if Andrew's complaining about this, I think he might have a bit more to complain about in a few days' time. Um, but look, I think we, we beat them quite comfortably before. It was five. Five, then we should have been more. It should have been more last night um, as well. So you need to score your goals because at the moment, like you said, we're still second. And um, But we've just got to play Jordan here. That would, I think, see us on top of the group. We've played the same amount of games as them now. Uh, gives us a four point I think gap on um on Kyrgyzstan and um if we come out of Bangladesh with another three or four goals it would have a really positive goal difference. Um if for some reason we do end up second, um then we need to be a good second because it's the you know, obviously the top eight um of the groups and then the the, the uh, next four best second teams. So um but look I can't see us losing in Bangladesh. It would be a massive upset. It's just, it just doesn't happen. Brilliant insights as always, Cozzy. We'll talk to you next time on Box to Box. Great. No problem, us. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. You are with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley on NTS News Talk Sport. This is Box to Box on digital radio, streaming on the NTS app. You can also search for NTS on TuneIn Radio. Box to Box News Hound Mark Van Aken, good to see you, mate. Bring us up to date with the latest around the globe. Thanks for that. I won't touch on the Socceroos too much because we've covered that in detail with John Cosmina before the break. 
Uh, on to Olympic news. FIFA has announced the match schedule for the football tournament, the Rio 2016 Olympic Games, with both men's and women's finals to be played at the legendary Maracanã Stadium in Rio on the 19th and 20th of August, respectively. The opening match will be the game from the Women's Group E. It will take place at the Olympic Stadium in Rio on August 3, two days before the opening ceremony. As well as the two stadiums in Rio, there will be five other co-host cities, Belo Horizonte, Brasilia, Manaus, Salvador and Sao Paulo. Michael, no Cuiaba, which no we Cuiaba. know is a good thing. No Cuiaba. After our trip to Brazil last year, it was like the Wild West. Ten so, thousand say it. Chilean Chilean us, yeah, in the street. A bit more background for those of us who weren't there. Well, we happened to be there and uh, we got beaten uh, by Chile and uh, there was... Uh, about 10,000 Chileans in the stadium and about 30,000 30, in the city square. But um, we got stopped from taking our bottles of water into the ground, but the Chileans, unfortunately, well, fortunately for them, they could take their massive firecrackers in. <laughs> Oh, that's uh, they're interesting units, the old Chileans. It was great. They were fantastic, uh, and uh, it was a great experience. But Cuiabá, uh, you, you don't want to go back to Cuiabá, do No, you? I wouldn't mind uh, a bit of Porto Alegre, but not on the list. So, uh, of course, Sao Paulo is a no-brainer. Nine nations are already confirmed for the 16-team men's Olympic tournament. Brazil, of course, as hosts Argentina, Germany, Denmark, Sweden, Portugal, Fiji, Mexico, and Honduras. Six have already booked their slots in the women's side. Again, Brazil, Colombia, uh, Germany, France, South Africa, and Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe and the Ollie Roos, Rob? Not yet, but Fiji. You just sort of glossed over that. Oh, the just World a no powerhouse that of Fiji football. would beat the Olympics in football, wouldn't they? So a little bit more background on Fiji. Well, it's a country in the South Pacific. Oh, uh, yeah. I know you didn't want to... Uh, look, you might cast your mind back. I mean, New Zealand doesn't automatically just win Oceania. We've seen no. that. We were playing the Solomon Islands when New mm. took over uh, back in 2005 to qualify for the World Cup. And Fiji, I think I'm right in saying is won Oceania competitions before. So, obviously, New Zealand didn't have their best under-23s out there, and mm. they got they got pantsed by the Fijians. Well, it's a great moment for Fijian football, especially after the way they got turfed out of the Rugby World Cup. So, bring on Fiji. Absolutely. Uh, on the women, so as I said, Brazil, Colombia, Germany, France, I've covered them all, South Africa and Zimbabwe. The Oliroos play tonight in Qatar, in Doha, against Iran on Monday in Dubai in preparation for the AFC Olympic qualifying tournament in Qatar next January. So, good for them to get some experience uh, in Qatar ahead of that tournament. Absolutely. Precious on the Oliroos. They've been... Um Pretty ordinary in in their preparations, so they, they need to find some form. And hopefully we'll talk to our man Jackson Irvine next week, captain of the Ollie Roos. His uh, mother, as we talked about, works at uh, this great media network, and uh, he's very enthusiastic about joining us on Box to Box. Not only is he captain, he's the main man. They they will rely on him to score goals. Absolutely. Uh, good player, and he'll be very interesting to chat to. So let's hope we can tee up Jackson for next week. Uh, now, how this works, this uh, qualifying tournament uh, in January, 16 nations have qualified for the championship. The top three progress to Rio. The corresponding tournament for the Matildas is in February. And it's probably even tougher for the girls because Asia in the girls obviously has some of the better teams in the world, not so much on the men's side of the ledger. Agreed? Oh, absolutely. But the Matildas, the Matildas they, uh, they can do it. I mean, I've got more confidence about the Matildas than I do have about the Ollie Roos. Well, you've got every reason to be so. Now that they've sorted out the players' agreement, the uh, Matildas, uh, they were... Uh pilloried by many parts of the press uh, saying that they were the uh, the bunnies of the men's uh, agreement and that they, they should never have stood out of the uh, the American tour but they did they uh, they uh, stuck to their their beliefs and uh, and hopefully they'll they'll get to Rio well depending on which side of the fence you uh, you fall on that debate um, some people say they might have been poorly advised to not go to America 
I think uh, that in itself was the only time in the history of Australian football that we've not turned up for an international match yeah, but in that, any age group. Yeah, but uh, I, I forget which Matilda it was, but during the week there was one of the prominent Matilda's players came out and said, hey, with the CBA obviously being signed off last week, and you mm. sort of cover that off with uh, Simon Canning from Umbrella in the, the second hour, but if they didn't go on that strike, they're convinced they wouldn't have got the pay deal because let's face it, the CBA on the men's side of the ledger, which is the one I guess most of us concentrate on, wasn't that exciting. There's nothing particularly sexy about it. Small raise in the salary cap, a few marketing allowances here and there. But where the big stuff was, the headline stuff out of this CBA, was on the women's side, where the, the pays were effectively doubling for some of the better players. So, Would they have got there in the end, and was a strike necessary? Uh, well, look, they say yes. Yeah, and, uh, and I, I probably tend to agree on The bigger question is, did the PFA... The, 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 all the talk at the moment is now that the PFA really, because this is the first time they've put a whole-of-game uh, agreement together, uh, bundling in, obviously, the Socceroos, the A-League, guys and the W League girls and the Matildas um, that's what made this negotiation so protracted and people are sort of questioning probably selfishly the people that don't really care for the women's game yeah. um, hey how come we had this held up for so long considering again the men's side it's pretty ho-hum there's obviously a big bump in the cap in the third year in anticipation of a, of a bigger broadcast rights so anyway and let's not forget that the, the doubling of the salary cap took the top end of a Matilda's income to $40,000 and the bottom end to less than 30000 So mm. I, I take my hat off to the girls for doing what they did. It was tough, obviously, for them to make that decision. It's not like they were pulling out of a Bangladesh tour. They were going to play against the number one team in the I world. I think that's the issue. I, I, I think that's the issue. They, they missed an opportunity to play uh, on a big stage against the... You know, the world's number one. And I, and I think that's uh, something that might hurt them down the track. You've got to keep in mind, too. I mean, it sounds minuscule, um, putting an extra 10, 20K on top, but you're talking a, a group of 20 or 30 players. You're probably looking at roughly about half a million bucks a year now the FFA has to come up with extra out of the coffers. And you might scoff at that, but... Reading John Stenschultz's book, of course, we spoke to him last week on the show, uh, The Tumultuous First Decade of the A-League, you forget that a lot of... Well, you don't forget because it's so prominent, but a lot of the the FFA, especially early days, they had no cash flows. Ben Buckley speaks quite at length in that book about, hey, we were were putting out this public image that everything was cream cheese when really we were broke. Mm. We had no money. So... uh, this is not an organisation that's flushed with cash. It's still heavily, heavily reliant on Sir Frank uh, putting his money in. Not Sir Frank, wrong, wrong person. Uh, Chairman Frank, as uh, Michael likes to call him, putting money in. Westfield FFA Cup, yeah. you know, the Westfield W League. I'll give you a heads up. The head of marketing at Westfield isn't you know, sponsoring those events because he thinks it's a really good commercial decision. <laughs> it's because Frank so. says so. I don't think so. So that's because Frank says so. So while we're still relying on, on, on this philanthropy just to keep the sport up, this was a significant uh, happening in the game. And I think last word on this before we move on to the rest of the news, but uh, I think that's what, what you talked about there is a proportional response in a dispute. I think a lot of people who've got cool heads suggest that the, the strike action by the Matildas was disproportionate to the, the significant dispute that was there at the time. Okay, okay, it's done. We'll find out in the future. Well, look, I'll say one more final thing. If this is what the PFA wants to go the raw porn with FFA about... Uh, you know, you might want to save your bullets in the future for something bigger. And again, I know I'm, I'm and I know a lot of the female players. So I'm, I'm disrespecting the female players when I say that. Anyway, let's move on. Goal.com is reporting a host of Liverpool legends could be on their way to Australia early next year. An Australian promoter is ready to lure the Red Stars down under for a multi-game tour. But LA Galaxy Steve, and we're talking about retired players, mind you. Uh, LA Galaxy, or near retired, I should say. LA Galaxy Stevie Gerrard, whose contract is of course owned by the MLS, is holding up proceedings. The site's 
Rumour Mill also says Dean Butsanis is on the outer at Western Sydney with goalkeeping coach Big Spider Kalats, but there's still 18 months to run on his contract, which he is insisting is paid out. So that's going to be a painful little situation to play out there at Wonderland. Fighting words, what else? From fiery Mariners assistant John Hutchison, ahead of the F3 derby. He said, this club has always done better than what Newcastle has done. Bit of Gippsland language in there. He said in the Newcastle Herald, Newcastle is a bigger region and probably deserve a better football team than they've have in the past. The only thing in Newcastle that we have, sorry, the only thing I have in Newcastle that we haven't is a wooden spoon. <laughs> Cheeky, John, but I love it. Yeah, it's good stuff. I mean, we want to see that kind of banter going on between the And he's spruiking the, the F3W, yeah. which was big in the early days of the league, yeah. and it's really petered out. So let's hope a big crowd it's, comes out. It's the way he played. I love it. Melbourne Lord Mayor Robert Doyle predicts Etihad Stadium will be gone in 20 years. Said it on 3AW, our sister mm. station, just this week. Uh, Doyle said the stadium cuts off the Docklands precinct from the CBD and it'd be better to build an AFL-sized, or a football-sized for us, venue at the nearby Western Park. The venue is home, of course, to four Melbourne Victory home games a season as well as used for the finals and some Socceroos matches. The AFL gents is due to take over ownership of the stadium in 2025. I agree with him. That joint is one of the worst stadiums in the world. The only good thing about it is the fact that it's convenient. Who would design a stadium with lack of sight lines at various points in the modern era? That's just beyond me. That uh, that managed to happen is ridiculous. The fact that the coaches' boxes were an afterthought, they weren't designed and put into the stadium until after it was built. It's a ridiculous place. Will they do it? Who knows? And retractable seats that aren't retractable. <laughs> they are. All right, guys, Mark, that is fantastic. Up next, Dean Hennessy talking all things A-League. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back to Box to Box. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley on NTS News Talk Sport on digital radio, streaming on the NTS app. You can also search for us on NTS on TuneIn Radio. Just type in NTS into your search bar. Welcome back, as I say, and welcome also to Dean Hennessy. Hennessy, Dean, we're talking all things A-League, but there's one thing I, I do want to get off my chest, and I think we all want to get this off our chest, is the uh, FFA Cup uh, final. It's been totally overshadowed by the debacle around the organisation and uh, not the least of which uh, was uh, the Carl Valeri scenario on the ground. You were there on the night. You had to fork out uh, a pretty uh, pretty decent amount to, to get your family in. What's your opinion on all of that? Yeah, look, it's a bit disappointing. Um, I mean, can we even reflect to the semi-final that we were involved in where, you know, there was only 7,000 fans there, 15,000 show up for the, the, you know, the biggest stage of a really, really exciting competition. And they just totally outpriced it. So it was really disappointing, you know, even if they halved the price and you had filled it for a 30000 what a spectacle it would have been because it was a really good game. Yeah, and as you say, when you had that semi-final with Hume City and uh, you had that match taken away, you had the perfect opportunity to play in a small suburban stadium. OK, Boutique might be describing it generously, but you would have had a great crowd there with a fabulous atmosphere and it would have been an FFA Cup moment that you could compare to some of the great FA Cup moments. And it's that sort of history we're trying to create and your club was robbed of it and then insult to injury on the night, 15000 in a 30,000-seat stadium, and the irony of it was when Carl Valeri wasn't allowed to stand up there and uh, accept the trophy that Lee Broxham thanked the 26,500 Melbourne Victory spectators or members who were in the stadium, and you're thinking, no, Lee, there weren't that many here. Well, 15,000 people, Rob, it wasn't good enough for um, the FFA Cup final. We want it to be an iconic event on the calendar. FFA got the ticket pricing wrong. Dean spent all his money in Port Douglas the week before because he's just been off the beach because he was hiding from us, wasn't he? 
Dino was hiding from us, and the reason he was hiding from us was because last week he said that Sydney and Brisbane was going to be a goal fest. You got that one right, Dean? I do have to admit, yes. My hands are up. If if the viewers could see me, my hands are definitely up in the air. Um, I was very surprised by it. But two well-organised defences, and obviously the defenders came out on top. OK, well, we've slapped down the FFA enough. They deserve it. They deserve every bit. Uh, they should have admitted it after the game. They didn't. We move on. We hope that they will learn their lessons, listen to the people, listen to the clubs, and that the next iteration of the FFA Cup is a, a more successful one in every sense of the word. So we're going to move on to the A-League tonight. Absolutely. But, uh, Ed, but, you've got something to say? Yeah, well, I think... Um, well, obviously, uh, we're going to talk to Dario Vitisic from Western Sydney Wanderers shortly. Um, and obviously it's a big game, 5th and 6th, Melbourne City and Western Sydney tonight at Amy Park, uh, the scene of the crime of the FFA Cup final the week before. Um, Melbourne City going to be without Aaron Moy, who's really been the man for them uh, all year. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they re- rejig themselves. And Western Sydney, um, you know, they've been spluttering, spluttering a little bit. I'm expecting a little bit more from. I think this is. I think that's going to be a good game. And look, I think Melbourne City, you know, delighted from last week's performance over in Adelaide. I mean, it was a fabulous result to get four goals away from home. Valuable three points. And but are they a one-man team, Dean? Look, Moy makes a big difference. I mean, Moy's got to be one of the best midfielders, if not the best midfielder. And he's, in the he is clearly at the moment uh, the, probably the best player going around at the moment in the A League. Without doubt, from form status, so he's he's very imposing. They have to replace his energy. They have to replace the quality of his through balls, which for me uh, really make make him. So, um, you know, what's your uh... well again? It most probably depends on who they're going to replace him with. And you know, there's no there's no two two players like him. I mean, he's been outstanding. For the whole time he's been in Australia, not just uh, with Melbourne City, but when he was with the Wanderers, he was, was, I mean, he's just wonderful to watch. But look, uh, John Van Schip's experienced, took a lot of confidence out of winning in Adelaide, and they see a really, really big opportunity to to beat Wanderers and push away from them, because as you say, you know, there's only one place in the ladder that's separating them, so it's a really, really big game for City. And you hear Mark Bosnich talk on uh, Fox Sports, he still maintains that uh, City are. his favourites for the title. Is he trying to be the only one uh, that tips them to win the, the title? He, he's uh, generally a fairly accurate pundit when it comes to these sorts of things, not known to uh, put his uh, neck on the chopping block for no good reason. Look, Boz has experience. I mean, you know, he's watching most probably more football than anybody at the moment. Um, but look, I, I, I think there are better teams than City, but I still think they'll be definitely there towards the end. And again, if they win on the weekend, um, which will then, you know, push another three points away from the teams below them, they'll start getting a bit, a bit more belief. And we all know what belief, you know, creates. It uh, gives you an opportunity to strive forward. I read with interest during the week, Eric Partaloo, um was shocked. He, he said he was shocked when he was dropped, when Van Chip dropped him. So obviously, um, Jay, JVS is not too concerned about uh, ringing the changes in the in the team. Um, is is there a bit of complacency about Melbourne City? Um, I don't seem to. I don't get the feeling that there is a great intensity about Melbourne City when they when they uh, hit up uh, and run out to the, the game. I, I just don't. Um, do you think that the feeling in the club, um, from what you're observing, Dean, uh, is a, is a positive thing? For me, I just don't see that there's. A, a lot going for him at the moment. Look, it's hard. It's always hard when you're not inside yeah. the building and you're not in the training track and you're not in the dressing room. Um, but I do, I suppose, having played against Victory three times in the space of something like six weeks, they have an unbelievable amount of drive, intensity. Everyone takes it really serious and you can just see they're so fixated on where they want to be. 
when you played City in a friendly, yeah, they brought three or four players and also some youth players. But it just looks different and feels different. So that's maybe what you're alerting to. It's a perception. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley on NTS News Talk Sport Box to Box. You're listening to Dean Hennessy, 250-game veteran of the Victorian Premier League. We're talking about the A-League. We've just been chatting about the opening match or the second match of the round, Melbourne City v Western Sydney Wanderers. Tomorrow night, we've got the Newcastle Jets v the Mariners. First up, how do you see that one coming? Well, big derby. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of feeling there. One of the coaches, the assistant coach there, uh, John Hutchinson, um, threw a little uh, hand grenade over the bow he did, didn't uh, he? to start it. You know, and uh, basically the story went. You know, there's lots of comparisons between the two uh, franchises, but the one thing that we've never done and they've done is that they've got a wooden spoon, and from there everything's then uh, started to get a little bit tasty. But this is what you want. It's Derby Day. You know, it's it's. Um, Everyone's looking for their pride, I think. Newcastle have got off to an unbelievable start. Three um, wins. I mean, you would not have predict, predicted that. In any, you know, at the start of the season, threadbare squad, coaching experienced, you know, administration in turmoil, you know, so they've obviously got, got away okay. Yeah, look, Scott has done well. Um, you know, like from obviously last season, we all pretty well documented what happened with Newcastle Jets. He's come in, fresh ideas. He's got players playing for him and that's why they're in the position they are. So they'll go in now, favourites tomorrow, against a team like Mariners who really, really are desperate to get a result because they are starting to push away. If you look at the league table, you know, they're on four points and, you know, Newcastle on nine. So if Newcastle win, obviously, really, really big gap for them. Great double header tomorrow night. Sydney FC v Melbourne victory, the big blue at the Sydney Football Stadium, kicking off at 7.30. That's a cracker. Well, this is what it's about. I mean, the A-League, you know, two big, big franchises, well-supported. I remember in year one, I went to the Sydney game against Melbourne victory um, in, in the very first game of the A-League and... Um, the competition between the rivalry has been unbelievable. I mean, Arnie's got some ideas. I've listened to his press conference this week talking about stopping the supply to Berisha. For me, Berisha is the difference. We've, we've discussed that even last week. Um, and, you know, even in the FFA, FFA Cup run, he scored in every single round. And the goal he scored last week was outstanding. Mm. Great run, great through ball. Fabulous finish. He likes the big stage, doesn't he? He 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 demands the ball. He demands to be the man at the, at the most important times of the game. Um, he really is uh, a super player. We're lucky to have him in the outlet, aren't we? Look, I, I felt really privileged sitting on the bench, not yeah. the main bench, just behind the bench, where you're really at that level and you see the determination and the drive he drives that team. It's unbelievable. And the performance, like when you're looking in the stand or on television, doesn't do justice to it. And for me, I'm going to just put it out there for all the imports we've ever, ever brought. He's the biggest and the best we've had. And he's done it time and time again. Yeah, I think most people would agree with you that on pure performance and uh, return on investment across uh, two clubs, he's been magnificent. Uh, Before we go, before we go, Rob, we've just got to say congratulations to Dean because uh, his son, son Matthew, has signed for Melbourne Victory uh, just... Yesterday, I believe. Yeah, yesterday he went for his medical, and um, with all things equal, he'll be joining Victory. So which is the great. you know the football royalty bloodline of the Hennessys uh, from Wales back in the day when Dean's dad was captain of Wales continues. Congratulations, Dean, mate. Not uh, a bad uh, stud yourself by the uh, the sound of it, mate. Hopefully Thank we'll you, see Rob. a wonderful career ahead of you, mate. Now, briefly, one more game uh, on Sunday afternoon. Brisbane v Perth. Uh, Perth will be filthy after losing that FFA Cup. They came with a lot of confidence. Brisbane have had a great start to the season. How do you see that one playing out? Look, Perth were disappointing last week uh, at victory in the FFA Cup. Um, 
Brisbane, obviously, uh, with all the fireworks that I promised, um, I'm now going to promise it this week. I'm going to bring it back to the table. Um, young Jamie McLaren, I did play with his dad and Donald, and um, he's been the Player of the Month and the PFA's voted October yeah, Player of the Month. Great. And I think it's a real... If you look at the goals ratio he scored last year when he was at Perth, like the amount of minutes he played on the pitch versus the goals he scored, he would have been the top goal scorer in the A League. But now he's getting first team football and he's, he's relishing it, which is fabulous. I'm going to take care of Brisbane to beat Perth. Thanks, Dean. And uh, yet another great insight into the A League, the FFA Cup. And, and I think what we're hearing here is that uh, this could well be one of the best A League seasons yet. It's been a fa- fantastic start, really competitive start. We're not seeing anyone dragging the chain, even the clubs like the Newcastle Jets, as we know, who we thought uh, m- may well uh, uh, hold up the bottom of the ladder, are do- doing the exact opposite. So, Dean, thanks very much, mate. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. Next up, Dario Vitisic from the Western Sydney Wanderers, ahead of their huge match against Melbourne City. Box to box. Can you believe for Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. The Wanderers have made plenty of incursions into the glory penalty area. Jamison's corner. Met by Julbich. Topple Stanley trying to dink it back in. It might break here for the Wanderers a second time. And the shot is in this time. And it's Dario Vinicic. On his full debut for Western Sydney, right on the cusp of the break, Wanderers 1-0. Classic piece of Dario Vitisic magic, now with his third A-League club in a career that's seen him play six seasons in the Bundesliga, recently in the Swiss Super League with FC Sion. Welcome, Dario. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you, Dario. Um, tell me, um, the, the one item that I want to start with is uh, a bit about your family. Obviously, Dad is at Melbourne Victory. Um how much ribbing goes on between you two during the week? Oh, we, we speak close to almost every day and, you know, I'm still he's helping me a lot with my development and especially when I play, you know, he gives me advice and, you know, and I'm really grateful for that. But, you know, I think when we get closer to round 10, then I think the phone calls will probably stop and then, it'll, you know, then there won't be too much information given away. But I think, I think the beauty with our team and their team, you know, I think we know exactly what both teams, how they want to play and, I think that's a, going to be a fantastic game that we're, um, well, for me, I'm really looking forward to it as well, but we know that there's plenty of football to be played until then. So all pretty serious stuff by the sound of it, Dario. Not a lot of uh, winding up the old man, mate? Oh, there has been, yeah, a little bit. There's always uh, at the start, you know, before the season started and that when I first arrived and, you know, there was a lot coming from his side, you know, and roughly so, they're, they're the champions, so... You know, but we're we're looking forward to playing against them. You know, we we will have to wait a little bit longer till round ten is the first time that we play against them. So, you know, at the moment it's subsided a bit, but I think you know, leading in closer to um <clears throat> to round ten, then it'll probably start again. More probably from their side as yeah, being the champion. So we'll stay quiet and. Hopefully I'll be able to do the talking after the game. So, Dario, 28 years old. You've played with three A-League clubs. You've had a, a, a good stint in the uh, the Bundesliga and uh, and did yourself proud over there. Uh, you've played uh, or you've been capped twice with the Socceroos. You've got plenty of your career ahead of you. Uh, how do you see this sort of reset of your of your career domestically with the Western Sydney Wanderers? And, uh, and what's your focus right now in in the early stages of your of your time back in the A-League? Um, at the moment, you know, it's, uh, I need to just stay patient at the moment. You know, I, I missed a fair bit of, oh, I missed the whole preseason, came in late into the, into the whole, um, into the setup of this season. And, you know, so it's catch up and learning the new style that, 
you know, the boys have taken probably 14, 12 to 14 weeks of playing. So uh, and I understood myself that, you know, obviously try to get as much information as, on board as quickly as possible, learn the style, learn the movements and um, try to get my fitness up to speed as quickly as possible without, you know, the biggest fear is of breaking down too early with the increased loads of training. So we've they've, they've taken it very smartly with me. I'll probably push them a little bit trying to do more but you know every, every single player will do that and but I've, I've definitely really enjoyed it so far and now that the, the results are coming for us as well so it's lifted the team as more and the confidence is going right through the team so we're really looking forward to tonight's game and taking on City which we know again will be another fantastic game. Dario it's uh, Dean here I just thought I'd um, obviously you're only just there at Western Wanderers now but compared to obviously your time at Raw also the time at Adelaide United have you seen any significant differences now that you're back on these shores and how the game has progressed from the times earlier in your career? Oh it's, it's definitely skyrocketed in terms of uh, how, how the league's progressing and that especially if we go all the way back from the when I first started I was, I was involved throughout the first season and then you know, played in the second season. So, you know, in terms of the league and how it's gone forward, it's truly been more than leaps and bounds. It's it's amazing how how well the league's progressing. You can see now with the you know the crowds are coming out, they're watching, and you know it's picking up steam. Even people speak about it from overseas, and especially in the Sydney derby, when they see pictures of that, you know they they can't believe it. How great the atmosphere is. It's, it's right up there. You know, with in in Europe and then also you have the Melbourne derby, which adds that, and there's a lot of um, great spectacles and you know with the raw as well what they achieved and how the football that they played so you know I think the Australian football is only growing it's only getting bigger and better and you know this, this season hasn't been any different from the start of the early round Dario, Western Sydney is now a big club it's got a, a massive following um, the fans are arguably you know some of the passionate that are going around in the A-League uh, do you feel there is an expectation and pressure on the team to perform is it a um, do you feel that in the culture of the club, when you walk in the doors, you go to training, um, the expectation of the whole club to be successful is, you know, is front of mind? Um, most definitely, but I, I don't think we're too different from you know any other club. You know, every club wants to be successful. There's no club that just says, especially in A League, there's no club that's going to come into the start of the season and say, you know, we're happy to be here and let's just see how the season goes. So. Yeah, I think that goes right across the board from, you know, from regardless whichever team we speak about here, that's the that's the one thing that's very, you know, it's a great thing about this league that every week you have that such competitiveness. You can never say, you know, probably in the other leagues in in um in Europe and, you know, anywhere really in the world where you can say, Okay, you're playing this team, that team and, you know, we're probably if something very badly goes wrong then we'll we'll lose, we won't get the three points. So and in A-League, if you think like that, you've already lost. So that's the, that's the thing that you need to be ready every single week. And, you know, just little things and just mentally letting go a little bit, that, that, that can be the difference that you lose. While in another league that, you know, even if you're mentally not a switch on, you still probably have enough quality that you can still win the game. But that's definitely something that's not here because there's such a high quality from all teams. And But um, for us, just to speak for our club, you know, we definitely we want success. The club's been very successful. We want to be a part of that again. We want to create more history, and you know, it's still, um, still, I think for a little while longer, the reigning Asian champions. I think the second leg still needs to be played. I'm pretty sure I might be wrong on that, but you know, it's still that that title will always be there. That the, that we're Asian Asian Champions League winners, and 
So, you know, that's a, that's a huge thing as well. And our fans, you know, they're, they're incredible. They're the best in the country. And, you know, they, they demand a lot as well, which is which is normal. And we, we, we want to deliver to them as well and, and give them those victories. And hopefully we can bring in some other trophies that the club hasn't been able to obtain until now. You're listening to Macquarie News Talk Sport. With, we're with Dario Vidizic of the Western Sydney Wanderers. Dario, tell us about Tony Popovich. Tell us... Um, about your experience with him to date. Um, and he's obviously a legend of the game in Australia. Um, uh, he's obviously, uh, at times, can be a little bit moody. We've seen that in his press conferences. How have you found him? Oh, just like, you know, you probably hit it on that day. You know, he's a legend of the game football-wise. And I think, if not already, he'll be very soon also a coaching legend as well, you know. So he, from what he's achieved with this club, you know, Starting from the ground up, a team that you know no one really gave them absolutely any any chance at the start. It was more a long term plan, and three three years later, there's the Asian Champions League winners and have been in multiple grand finals. A little bit unlucky, you know, and in that first season went on long winning sprees and won the Premier's plate. And you know, it's it's just a credit to him as well and the coaching staff for what they were able to achieve here. And and now you know now new styles come in, and again. In such a quick time, we're starting to play much, you know, a great brand of football now. We're dominating games, and now it now it'll come down to us um, to continue what we're practicing, and then to put those final pieces. You know, that that that'll just come down to us. You know, a coach can't come on and defend for us, or he can't score for us. So he's put a, he's given us all the pieces, and now it'll be us to give those final parts and to put the ball in the back of the net and to win games. Dario, it's Dean again. I just wanted to talk to you about the time you had at FCC on what the experience was like over there and uh, the comparisons to what you were doing there compared to now that you're back in Australia. Because um, in the in the two years, I went through actually seven coaches while I was there, and wow. and crazily enough, I went through four medical staff as well, which is that's for certain unheard of. And you know, I won't say all the coaches were bad, but. One was actually at a very high level, very, very good, who was Admir Smaich. And um, the rest, it's, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it was crazy, the level of how we were trained and the intensity and and just, you know, nowhere near what it's meant to be. If, if you know, comparing here to there, it's, it's another world, another universe. So that was one thing that was very frustrating. You know, you go to training every day, you're... You're doing drills and stuff, and with zero intensity, zero ideas, and you're not becoming better. So, um, you know, that was a frustrating thing about the club, where you know we had a president that you know he wanted to take full control, who probably doesn't have the best understanding of football, but believes he has the greatest understanding. So, it became frustrated by uh, frustrating, but I'm I'm happy to be out of there now and to be finally in a very professional setup and. One where I feel I'm learning as well every day and can only get better. Fabulous insight there, Dario. And it's particularly interesting and even ironic that uh, we often wonder how the Australian domestic competition, the A-League, is developing. And, and we hear from you, uh, having just come from Switzerland, a country that's one of the top teams in the world right now, and, uh, and you're able to reflect on your time with Sion and then talk about Western Sydney and Western Sydney and the A-League is well ahead of it. So that's good to hear from a domestic. We don't like to hear the fact that you had a pretty ordinary time while you were there, but uh, it's, it's nice to hear you reflect that way. Now, briefly, mate, we're going to wrap it up, but uh, you, you're playing City. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's uh, what's your uh, your position there as far as uh, as your efforts? You're fifth and sixth on the ladder. Um, it's a big game for both teams and City are coming off, as I say, an impressive road win against your old mob Adelaide. 
Yeah, that's that's the thing. We know they've, they've got a lot of quality in the team. They're coming off a great result in Adelaide. Uh, we, we are also coming off two really good results, and we want to continue that and hopefully add a third to that and continue getting all these points that perhaps we might have dropped in the earlier rounds. So we know it's going to be a, a great game. They're going to come out. They're going to attack. We're going to attack. And I think it will be a great game for both sets of supporters and um for the neutral and we'll try to showcase again a league to the greatest qualities that we that we can and um and yeah i think both teams are going to be fighting for those three points so we're, we're we're confident that we can we can get the three points tonight and we're we're really looking forward to the game fabulous dario mate thank you very much we'll look forward to seeing you again in the uh, near future we'll have you back on the show and hopefully we'll be talking about the wanderers as you uh, make a run towards the finals mate great work dario no problem. Thank you for having me on. You're on Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. Absolutely fantastic! Welcome back to Box to Box. This hour, we've got former Liverpool FC club doctor and current Australian cricket team medico Peter Bruckner and Ben Soro Perez with Focus on Europe. But on the line, Simon Canning talking to the business of the game from Umbrella and what we all want to know, how will the EPL rights deal play out and critically, how will it impact on the A-League rights? Welcome, Simon. Good evening, guys. Great to have you on board, Box to Box, Simon. Um, Umbrella, the, the media and marketing site, is the place to go when you want to know the inside goss on what's happening. You know, we've got you on the radio show to talk to all of the football fans around Australia about uh, what might happen or what are the options that the FFA might have with their domestic and international rights. Currently, uh, they're sold to, to Foxtel. They're then on sold to SBS, who've uh, kindly parked the A-League live Friday broadcast on, a, on SBS2. Um, there's been lots of debate about that. Simon, what I'd like to talk to you about is um, uh, the impact of Optus securing the Barclays Premier League rights um, away from Foxtel. Um, in your opinion, do you think uh, the FFA would be pretty happy about that? Do you think they would be nervous? Um, and how do you think they'd be looking at uh, their environment after that development that's uh, played out over the last week or so? Look, at the risk of almost sitting on the fence here, I think right now uh, David Callop and uh, and his uh, team of executives at the FFA pondering uh, the uh, the taking of the broadcast rights for the A-League uh, out to market over the next few months uh, would be thinking, this is fantastic that Optus has actually come in. This was not a player that anybody expected to, uh, to be in there bidding for live sports rights in their entirety. So the fact that Optus has come in, paid very big money for the English Premier League, uh, clearly more than Fox Sports is willing to pay, um, is, is something that I think, great, we have a new player in the market. When you have lots of bidders as an auction, you have competitive tension, and that will drive up your price. At the same time, the loss of the EPL, which was a huge draw, particularly for um, uh, the people coming from the UK or people with uh, uh, a lot of interest in the EPL, which has turned, EPL has turned into a fantastic league to watch. You know, it's so much better than the English Premier League of 20 years ago. It's a, a fantastic league, and it's a, it's a great spectacle. Uh, the, the A-League is, is, is slowly but surely turning into a pretty quality spectacle in its own right. And if Fox Sports haven't got the EPL as a draw of uh, up to 50,000 customers, we think, um, we're, we're buying Fox Sports and Foxtel purely for the EPL... If they're not there on Foxtel, uh, the, the A-League may not be as attractive to Fox Sports this time around. It's a, 
it's a really difficult balance to strike. But I think that the key thing is for the A-League right now, the competitive tension of having that extra player in the marketplace. Yeah, as you say, Simon, that competitive tension runs across the complex web of media rights across all sports in Australia. Obviously, Fox Sports were caught on the hop when the NRL rights were uh, were announced by the free-to-air NRL rights were announced by Channel 9 and they came out uh, aggressive, all guns blazing, shut down Dave Smith, the NRL CEO. He lost his job as a result of it, but they've now blinked and they've re-engaged in that market. That does dovetail into the A-League rights, the uh, the Premier League rights and, and any number of other rights that are going around as well. Indeed, and look, uh, as, as any broadcaster understands, and particularly a subscription TV broadcaster, Foxtel, um, and the channels that, that reside on Foxtel, uh, you're only as good as the content you carry. So yeah, another part of the puzzle is if you are missing something as important as the English Premier League, you know, they still have um, the, the Socceroos, they still have the international matches, they still have a lot of quality for uh, for soccer fans, for football fans. Um, and so if they were able to retain the A-League, um, my feeling is is that if they, if they if Fox went in and bid for the A-League again, they'd want it in its entirety. And so you would probably see the A-League disappear from free-to-air TV. Simon, um, let's go around the ground to the free-to-air networks and just get your opinion on how they're placed and whether they might consider. Obviously, um, back in the day when the NSL was around, we used to refer to SBS as the soccer broadcasting service. Uh, Not anymore. I understand that uh, pretty much uh, football is almost dead at SBS. They tried to offload their A-League rights. Nobody really wanted them. Um, There doesn't seem to be much good news coming out of SBS for, for football. No, unfortunately for SBS, and it is a shame because I think everybody, I think all football fans appreciate um, the important role that SBS and uh, and Les Murray have played in keeping the game alive uh, in the Australian in the Australian marketplace and supporting it all the way through. Um, and so, so it is a sad thing, but the reality is the federal government has really clipped SBS's financial wings, and so the ability to go into a very competitive auction for rights is pretty much beyond their control. Uh, so it's going to be very hard for them to uh, to go in for any sort of uh, big push. And as you say, they've, they've tried to offload the rights. Nobody's really interested. And so I think we're really going to probably see maybe they'll purchase highlight packages, something like that, that they might roll into an hour of sports each week, that sort of thing. But I'm finding it difficult to see uh, particularly as they've pushed it off into that secondary platform of SBS2. That's not attractive to David Gallup. Why would you want to be on SBS2, for goodness sake? And if so it's... On, the basis, on the basis of that, I, I, I can't see them being a player in this particular auction for the A-League going forward. So yeah. if SBS are effectively out of the game, which of the free-to-airs do you see? Channel 10 starting to go through a resurgence with well, their... Just, well, just on that, Rob, obviously um, uh, Channel 10 have got big bash in the summer. I mean, A-League is a summer property. Um they probably don't have the runway unless they put it on their digital channel. I don't think that would be appealing for the FFA. Simon, what about Seven? You know, Seven has, uh, uh, you know, the V8 supercars. It has uh, AFL. It has uh, it has racing. Um, is Seven got a summer landscape? You know, it's got tennis, obviously. But could Seven could Seven cope with uh, at least one game a week? Seven could conceivably cope with it, and the reality is right now is the dominant network. And, and with the pick of the advertisers, Seven has deep pockets. I mean, all the, all the networks are under financial stress because of the, uh, the shifting planes of, of digital and, and um, streaming of, of uh, programs and Netflix and things like that. But the reality is Seven, if they chose to, 
could probably afford to come in and and have a tilt at uh, at putting on the A League for a game a week or two games a week, and then allow the rest to head off over to uh, uh, to Fox Sports. It wouldn't put you know there's no programming that's really competing for that space, except when you're getting into um, the end of the run to the season when they're uh, they're running their seventh summer of tennis. That could prove problematic, and again, then you find that you've been pushed over onto one of the secondary channels, you know, Seven Mate, as happened. The V8 supercars, when they were with Seven um, um, originally, uh, they were the first ones to discover uh, what Seven thinks of the secondary sport when it's competing with a main with a main sport against the AFL. They, whenever there was a clash with the AFL, Seven pushed the V8 supercars over onto Mate, and they lost considerable audience as a result of that. So, you know, Seven is there as a player. Whether whether they want to play games with their their summer of tennis is a big question because that's a that's a really important platform for them in terms of advertising um, to the lead up to the uh, the, the the year of, of TV. Uh, they promote all of their um, big shows um, going into sort of uh, late January and early February and setting the audience up to be tuning into Seven on a regular basis. This is the other thing I think you you've got to remember is that sports aren't just important in terms of the audience they deliver um, watching a live sport. They're a really important um, place to, to put your programming promotions because people tend not to get up from the TV during the ads for sport. They'll stick their live sport people like and they, they remain rooted. And so it's a fantastic platform to, to promote all of your other programming. That's why the AFL is so important to Seven. That's why the NRL is so important to Nine. That is why... 10 has, has, has spent on the Big Bash is because at the very least they can promote some of their programming during Big Bash. So Simon, I want you to polish your crystal ball here. You're a listener out there in Fanland. You're listening to the radio. You're listening to Simon's expertise. He knows all about what's going on. You're listening thinking, okay, what does it mean for me? What's your forecast on how this is going to land and the best landing for the listeners, for the fans out there? My forecast is that um, as I think a lot of uh, a lot of sports fans are already discovering. You know, a lot of these sports are saying, you know what, let's cut out the middleman. The, the broadband network in Australia is effective enough. Let's let's do a streaming package that they can take directly to their computer, they can run it through to their smart TV, and they can be watching. I'm suggesting that the very first thing we'll see is some sort of streaming package that comes uh, from um, uh, from the FFA for the A-League. The second thing I'm, suge- I'm projecting is that you will find that Fox Sports really needs this content to drive a, um, an audience of some form in the football sector. And so they will ultimately have to come to the table and they will pay for, um, they will pay for the product in its entirety because they need to be promoting some form of football along with what they have on the platform. An interesting thing that would happen as a result of that, one thing that people Fox Sports thought was going to happen with the um, with the English Premier League, they thought that the um, the other player on uh, the football player on the uh, on the subscription TV platform B in Sports was going to be the winner of the football because they're a very strong football uh, programming um, channel. They have uh, the German Bundesliga, um, Serie A, uh, the Brazilian Serie A. You know they're uh, they're big on football, and so Fox actually thought. It's still going to finish up on the Foxtel platform. It's just not going to be with Fox Sports. So that's another thing we have to think about. Could possibly be in sports, be a competitor for the A-League rights. They are, football is in their DNA. 
Um, and I think ultimately you probably will see a game in some form a week um, uh, sold back to, uh, maybe sold back to a free-to-air network. Fox Sports won't want to do that, but they'll let one game go, and it won't be a very good game, but they'll do it just to pacify um, the federal government and to pacify the critics of the loss of free free sports on TV. The FFA just doesn't swing enough weight with the networks at the moment to, to push it any further. Simon, it sounds like you'd need to be a, a grand chess master to unravel all of this, and uh, we've got to watch it as we all uh, look forward into the future, and, and hopefully in the short term it'll land in the best possible fashion for the A-League and for the domestic game so that it grows and thrives and it can get the kind of money that it needs to really sit alongside of the, the other domestic games in terms of financial clout. Simon, thank you very much for joining us. We really hope you become a regular on the program. Your insights today have been uh, magnificent. My pleasure, guys. Really great to be here. Thanks to Simon Canning from Umbrella. Next up, Peter Bruckner. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back, and when it comes to Australian sports science, Peter Bruckner needs no introduction, but we'll give him one anyway. Former club doctor with Liverpool FC and current Australian cricket team doctor amongst his glittering career across sport. Welcome, Peter. G'day, it's good to be there. So we wanted to talk to you specifically, Peter, about the uh, the recent ruling by the uh, US uh, Soccer Federation around junior football, and it seems that uh, that they've e- issued an edict that heading the ball in the junior levels is banned. Now, this appears to have come from a class action brought about by a group of parents last year in the US District Court in California that uh, sought the rule changes. So how do you see all this playing out, and uh, and what do you see the future of this decision? Well, look, it raises a whole lot of issues, really. Um, I guess the first thing to say is that, you know, it's sort of uh, in response to legal, as you said, to legal action, you know, which uh, you know, is fairly typical of what happens in the, in the US, I guess, in, in sport. And they've obviously got a massive uh, uh, issue with their uh, their own football, American football, and the concussion problems they have there has been well documented and uh, it's been in the courts as well. Um, a few things uh, to start with. I mean... Uh, what what they've done is is uh, banned all uh, all heading from under tens and then restricted I think from uh, limited to uh, up to under fourteen. Well, I guess my first comment was that if anyone, I'm sure plenty of uh, your audience have watched uh, under ten uh, football matches, and I don't think I've ever seen a header in, uh, in an under foot, an under ten football match. Yeah, but the ball never leaves the ground. There's a you know twenty players running around after the ball, and, uh, and there's not much heading being done. That's for sure. So. I'm not sure that's really going to, uh, you know, make a make sort of a massive difference. Um, uh, restricting it as they get older. Um, look, there's not a lot of evidence. If, if we, you know, if I put my sports science hat on and, and look at the evidence about uh, long-term problems with, with just hitting the ball, leading aside concussions, we can come back to that. But but just from the constant hitting of the ball, there really isn't any evidence that uh, it, it causes a long-term problem. Um, there was certainly, uh, you know, back in the day, there, there was a famous uh, English player, Jeff Astley, who finished up having brain damage, and he he was thought to have uh, got that as a result of, of multiple hitting. And in those days, that was uh, with leather heavy balls and, uh, and and so on, and they felt that was a major factor. I mean, these days, uh, you know, there's been no evidence that we are we're aware of of uh, of long term problems with with hitting. There have been um, a few scientific studies done, and, and they're well, you know, organised and they're well uh, 
structured scientific studies have failed to show any long-term issue with uh, with uh, brain damage and head and head in the soccer ball. So, you know, it's not been done really on a lot of scientific evidence. Um, There's a bit more sort of anecdotal evidence and uh, and concerns about uh, potential legal problems. So, but from on a that... science point of view, you know, not really any evidence. So on that Jeff Astor case in particular, you mentioned the heavy balls, the heavy leather balls, and uh, the campaign that continues to run to this day. You only have to watch a West Bromwich Albion home game, and you'll see fans in the stands holding up justice for Jeff and uh, uh, justice for the King, that sort of thing. Do, do you actually ascribe any uh, responsibility to, to heading balls of, of that kind of weight, or do you think it's uh, it, it's just oh, an look, unfortunate coincidence? You know, I mean, it, it's very hard to uh, to prove, really. I mean, there are lots of reasons why people get brain uh, uh, dysfunction later on in life, and uh, you know, uh, it's very hard to prove what 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 is the cause, um, and you know, so I, I have some sympathy you know, in the, for, for Jeff Astor and uh, in that campaign. I mean, I, you know, there really isn't uh, you know good good evidence that, uh, that that's the case. There could be a whole lot of other factors, lifestyle issues, uh, genetic issues, and so on that. Uh, that you know could have uh, resulted in that. I mean, I think if there, you know, I think if there was a major problem with with this, then you know we'd know about. It. I mean, there'd be lots of people having problems, and you know, to, to pluck out one person and say you know who played football and then developed sort of a, some uh, degenerative brain uh, condition, you know, I think that's a uh, you know that, that's drawing a long straw, really. You know, I, th- I think it's a little bit different in in the US, you know, with their with their American football. And there's now a lot of cases and, and uh, you know, there's some seemingly, uh, you know, regional evidence. But I don't think uh, in, in soccer you can say that uh, there's any good evidence that, uh, that hitting the ball on a repeated basis uh, it causes problems. The, the other issue, I guess, is the concussion uh, issue. So, you know, leaving aside that, that multiple sort of minor trauma, if you like, of, of hitting the ball, um, certainly you're more likely to, to get concussion um, when you're heading the ball. So that's likely to happen with a clash of heads or, or an elbow to the head. There are two sort of common uh, ways in which uh, people, when they're attempting to head the ball, um, get uh, get concussion. And that's you know, obviously nothing to do with the uh, contact of the ball on the head. It's more uh, uh, it's more the, uh, the elbow or, or the, the clash of heads. And uh, and that's certainly an issue. And, and I think uh, soccer, football, is taking concussion more seriously as as all the sports are, and, and there are now guidelines and and, uh, and rules and under which uh, you know we, we take concussion very seriously. Uh, we remove players from the field. We have an assessment process they have to go through, and uh, you know I think we respect uh, the danger of, or the long term potential danger of concussion a lot more than we we did a few years ago when we basically sort of flopped off and said, oh, you know, they'll uh, it'll be right, they can go back on and so on. So that's an important uh, you know I think certainly the important message that. that we need to get across, I think, to our football community is that concussion uh, is certainly a serious condition and we need to take that uh, that seriously. Uh, on the other issue of, of the head in the ball, I'm, I'm not as convinced. Well, I think the art of the diving header in Australia looks like it's safe. don't know if it's safe in the US. But, Peter, let's leave that issue for a moment. Uh, we can't not have you on our football program without talking to you about your experience at the Great Liverpool. Can you just reflect on, on, on the, your time there and what it was like to... Um, uh, work and uh, live and breathe and operate within one of the biggest football clubs in the world. Yeah, look, it was a, a fantastic experience. I mean, for anyone who loves loves sport and loves football, uh, you know, to be involved with, uh, as you say, one of the one of the great clubs in the world uh, was a, you know was a real privilege, and, uh, and you know, I was very lucky to get that opportunity. Um, 
To be honest, when I got there, I was a little bit uh, disappointed. I mean, I, I you know, was used to uh, Australian sort of the sports medicine and sports science standards and so on. And uh, and certainly, you know, we were well ahead of uh, where Liverpool were at at that, uh, that stage. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, places like the AFL and the NRL in particular are, are really world sort of leaders, if you like, in, uh, in sports medicine and sports science. And so I was... Uh, First of all, a bit shocked when I got there. You know, there was uh, like they had a gym, but they never really went in the gym, and they had a pool, and they never really used the pool, and they didn't really do any prevention work, and they didn't uh, do much on nutrition, and it was just to get out there and play football, really. And uh, so we had a had you know we met some challenges when we got there, and, uh, and it took a little while to sort of uh, change the culture, I guess, of the of the club. Um, we were fortunate. Uh, for a while there, we had Roy Hodgson as our as our manager, who wasn't a great success at Liverpool, but yeah. uh, terrific, very supportive of what we were doing, and, uh, and you know, I think we managed to change a lot of things when uh, when Roy was there. That uh, hopefully, yeah, in the longer term, have, have benefited the club. But uh, it was a fairly tumultuous time when I, when I was there. I mean, uh, you know, they were, they were sort of when I arrived, they uh, I got appointed by by Rafa Benitez. By the time I started, it was Roy Hodgson. Six months later, it was Hugh Douglas and, and so on. And, and uh, we started off with one lot of owners and then uh, swapped them to another lot of owners uh, very, uh, you know, traumatically uh, uh, over the first six months. And then the, the CEO appointed me was gone after a few months. So it was so when a, a those, crazy time. When those, those sort of events unfold, and obviously you, you, you would have had an expectation when uh, you were speaking to Rafa Benitez about going to the club. Um, how personally unsettling was that? And... Um, and how much did that impact on just what was happening around the club and the the focus on you know doing your job? Well, look, it, it, it obviously upsets things because you know you have different philosophies from the from the managers and, and so on. So uh, um, I never really got much of a chance to work with uh, with Benitez. Uh, I was just there for a month, really, at the end of his last season, more just to observe because I then went off to South Africa for the, for the World Cup and then sort of came back afterwards to start the new season. So. Uh, I didn't really have a chance to work much with him, but uh, you know certainly the, the philosophies of the different managers were quite different, um, and so it is quite unsettling uh, when, when things change. And uh, I guess in a way that's why often managers bring their own staff with them, um, and uh, you know that, that happens a lot in, uh, in English football. And uh, I managed to stay through through the three managers, but uh, yeah, it, it was uh, it was very challenging because all of a sudden you're working in one particular way, and then. Uh, you know, the next day everything changes, and uh, you know the the support you get for certain things. You know, under one manager, uh, you know, you, you don't have that support from the next manager, so you have to change things around a bit. So, look, it was it was never a dull moment, that's for sure. And um, you know, we had a little bit of success. We we won a Carling Cup while I was uh, there. You know, which probably in the old days, you know, wouldn't have been a big deal at Liverpool, but uh, compared to European Cups and so on. But at the time, they uh, were pretty grateful for the trophy. So we had that. Wembley experience uh, both there and, and the FA Cup final, which we which we lost. So, uh, you know, had some great times there. Uh, met some great people. Uh, you know, looked after some great players. I mean, you know, Stephen Gerrard, Luis Suarez, you know, Fernando Torres. I mean, uh, some great uh, players that you're very fortunate to work with and watch at close quarters. I mean, it was it was worth doing the job just to watch Stephen Gerrard train. You yeah. know, I mean, uh, you feel very privileged sort of sitting there, standing there on the sideline watching. Uh, Watching him train and so on, so you know, lots of great experiences and uh, great friendships out of it. You know, that I still uh, still keep in touch with people. I caught up with Stevie in uh, Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago. I was there uh, visiting my son and uh, spent a morning at uh, Galaxy and uh, caught up with him. And uh, you know, those those things go on, and it's uh, 
it's a real privilege to, uh, to know those people. And briefly, as we wrap it up, Peter, you must have been watching uh, with uh, interest to the Eva Caniero chelsea scenario earlier on uh, at the beginning of the the current Premier League season. Yes, yeah, and it seems to be ongoing. Uh, I know she got married this week. Uh, I saw something in the paper uh, and there was something about none of the current Chelsea players or staff attended, but a number of, uh, of, of ex-players, including Mark Schwartz, uh, attended. So uh, obviously they've been told they're not allowed to have anything to do with their Look, uh, it's an appalling situation. And uh, we had a similar situation a few years ago uh, with Andre Villas-Boas uh, disrespecting the, the Tottenham doctor who tried to, uh, to take their goalie off and so on. And that, you know, that's my major problem with, uh, with English football, is that the managers are far too powerful. They basically do whatever they like, and the clubs don't seem to be able to control them. I mean, if that happened, you know, in any other sport or you know, in Australia and so on, you know, you know, the manager wouldn't be allowed to get away with treating a, uh, a professional uh, the way uh, he treated both Eva and the uh, and the physio. And uh, you know, I think it's it's pretty appalling that uh, you know, and I think it's quite. Uh, a bit of karma, really, isn't it? But uh, they've hardly won a game since. So uh, that's it. I think you're <laughs> right. There, there is such thing as uh, justice in the world. But uh, no, I think a very poor, very poor show that uh, a uh, Mourinho, first of all, did it and didn't didn't apologise and has not apologised. And uh, I think it's uh, it has not shown much class, I'm afraid. Yeah, pretty shameful episode in a pretty shameful season so far for Jose Mourinho. Peter, mate, you've yeah. been fantastic. As ever, your insights are, uh, are detailed, their analysis is accurate, and uh, it's a great listen for not only the hosts of this program, but also for the listeners are out, out there. So we hope to have you back again. Good luck for the rest of the domestic cricket season as the Australian team doctor. Peter Brookner, thank you very much. Thanks very much, guys. My pleasure. You're on NTS News Talk Sport with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley. Back after the break. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. You are with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley on Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport on digital radio, streaming on the NTS app. You can also search for NTS on TuneIn Radio for our great mates at Chemist Warehouse. And now for his weekly insight into the English Premier League and Europe in general, former Brighton and Hove Albion insider Ben Sorrow Perez. Welcome, Ben. Yeah, thanks very much for the intro, Rob. Um, quite a week this week uh, back in the back in the UK. Um, no Premier League action uh, thanks to the international fixtures, which we'll see uh, Roy Hodgson's side take on uh, Spain and France. Um, but a brief roundup of news that is, you know, just what was coming up um, when they returned to the domestic schedule is that Sergio Aguero is back in training uh, for Man City, so they return um, and welcome Liverpool to the Etihad. Um, after the international break, so he's a he's a huge name to have back in. Meanwhile, Liverpool are likely to be without Mamadou Sarko um, for that trip and potentially another eight weeks uh, after he ruled himself out, uh, colliding with I think it was Jordan Ibe ahead of the Jurgen Klopp's debut at Spurs. Will he get a game, Sergio Aguero? Ah, uh, half fit. I don't I don't think he starts, but a mercurial talent like that, I think you you have to play him if he's. If he's got a chance, he has to play. There's there's very few strikers that are on his level. And I think on his day against what will be a resolute Liverpool side still finding their feet under Klopp, he's, he's one of those players that will make a difference. And Klopp, tough, tough trip for Liverpool, that one. Uh, I think they're in trouble. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, Klopp made a point when they, when they lost um, to Crystal Palace recently that, you know, he is still finding his feet. And obviously he was a bit disheartened by the way that the, uh, the Liverpool fans left early. But um, I think it's it's a reflection of the state of the club at the minute, perhaps. Um, they haven't necessarily bought that wisely in recent years. 
Um, I don't know where the funds are going to come from at the end of this season, if they're perhaps going to offload Coutinho or, or try and rebuild that way. Um, we've seen Sterling go, um, and he's having success elsewhere. So I think other big names within Liverpool will be looking um, certainly elsewhere come the end of the season if they don't pick up. Yeah, and as you said, Jurgen Klopp said he felt very alone after that game. He uh, He's a sort of guy that is ebullient in his fashion. He's meant to be bringing in, uh, some some excitement and uplifting the club. And uh, and for the fans, it seems that the the fans, that uh, the 12th man in the stadium is playing more and more of a role in, in the competition these days than ever before. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a huge factor. Um, I don't think you can, you know, necessarily underwrite the importance of having a uh, vocal... Um, an ardent fan base. So you look at Germany, for example, Klopp had it at Borussia Dortmund, you know, mm. some of the most hardcore fans uh, in the game, um, sell out every week. Um, you know, it's one of those things, atmosphere can instill confidence in, in you and, and fear in your opponents. I don't think that can be overrated. Tell us about Daniel Sturridge. Oh, he's, uh, yeah, he's back training. Um, I think he's just been allowed to start running around outside, um, which is definitely um, a good sign. Um for him, uh, he's been out for a while now. Um, so yeah, he's he's obviously a huge addition. It's a Liverpool side that struggle for goals, um, and he's a proven commodity when he's fit, which at the minute seems to be less and less frequently. What about uh, what about Chelsea? We had fun with them last week. We talked about uh, the struggles. So you've got more news on Chelsea? Oh yeah, a little bit. So, you know, the the gossip at the minute is that they're they're being linked with a move for Napoli's um, Gonzalo Higuain, who of course Mourinho. Uh, looked after when he was at Real Madrid. Um, proven striker, he's, he's not you know necessarily the the fancy striker like you might expect with someone like Ibrahimovic. He doesn't have any frills, um, but he's a he's a proven goal scorer. And I think with Diego Costa's struggles at the minute, um, he's something that Chelsea, well, they could certainly do with. And Jamie Vardy, he's continuing to get his name on the score sheet. He's had uh, scored nine goals in a row. Been doing brilliantly. He's in the uh, the English team for the uh, the Euro qualifiers. How do you see his future? I think with Vardy, it's difficult to predict at the minute. I mean, he's on a fantastic run of form. Um, if he finds a way past, uh, I'm guessing Rob Elliott's going to play in goal for Newcastle after the international break. If he finds a way past him, he's equal Ruud Van Nistelrooy's record of uh, goals in ten consecutive Premier League games. So he's in pretty elevated company now. Um, and I think when you look at the supporting cast that he has and who he's, you know, how well he is playing, I don't think there's much more that, well, not much more, but I don't think people will be able to look at him for much longer and say it's luck. I think he's, you know, he is he is very talented. He's obviously playing to his strengths. Um, and I think the, the fixtures coming up, the international fixtures, are a good chance for him to shine. You've got a misfiring Wayne Rooney. You've got Harry Kane, who's only just got back in the goals for Spurs. Um I think, you know, give him a chance. Let's see what he can do. He's been the story of the year so far, hasn't he, Vardy? I mean, uh, Leicester's performances, uh, they've just been... I'm just looking at the 25 goals they've scored. Um, they have let a few in. But how 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 long can they keep that run going? Again, it, Ranieri was famous before at Chelsea, being the tinker man, so he will make changes. Um, but they're playing a, a lot more expansively than they were under Nigel Pearson last year. Um, they're playing well, they're, they're full of confidence um, they did struggle against Watford somewhat um, in the past weekend only grinding out a 2-1 win so um, it remains to be seen I think their confidence will get knocked at some point um, I don't think they'll get rolled over by anyone but I certainly think that you know they'll play one of the top four clubs be it home or away um, and they will get that 
sort of bump back to earth. Well, they're in good company. Manchester City, Arsenal, and Manchester United surround them on the top, in the, at the top of the Premiership, and uh, that's that's an amazing story. And what about the uh, the Euro fixtures coming up? But uh, a weekend off the Premier League this weekend. What's your observations on this weekend of football? Yeah, I think for for Roy Hodgson, he has to he's got to find a, an option that necessarily doesn't include Wayne Rooney. I think you know he is the international captain. He's captain of United, but for whatever reason, is he prepared not... to do that though? I mean, that's the question mark on everyone's lips. Uh, uh, they've qualified. They've they've already gotten through to to Europe. They don't need to to secure any more points. It, is he going to continue to play that conservative nature that he's been famous for, for playing ever since he took over the reins? Or is he going to start to blood some new players like uh, the Vardy-type players and give them their opportunity and, and, and ask the King to sit on the bench for a little while? I think you have to. I think in Spain and France, you're playing two high-quality uh, international teams. Um, they may not name their strongest lineup, but they can call... I mean, Spain can call on Gerard Piquet, Sergio Ramos. You know, there's not much mm. they haven't won. In a friendly that is somewhat meaningless, why not give Vardy a chance? Why not see what he can do? Even if he, even if long term you're only thinking he's a plan B, I am going to start Wayne Rooney. You you get a chance to put him against some real quality opposition, um, and you never know what injuries will happen at a an international tournament or suspensions. I think it's just it, it makes sense to give him a run out. Do you think he'll do it? Oh, I'd like to say yes, but I think he'll I think he'll start Kane and Rooney maybe behind, similar to how Van Gaal's been using him at United. But uh, I think Vardy will be involved, just not from the not from the get go. Just a little bit of news off the pitch. Crystal Palace. Uh, Josh Harris. Tell us about Josh Harris, American businessman. He's looking like he uh, he might take a stake in that club. Well, according to reports, he's ready to buy. Uh, I think it's an eighteen percent stake in the club, um, which for a Palace club that has seen financial difficulty um, fairly recently, I think you know that's. Uh, a huge step in the right direction. He owns the Philadelphia 76, I think it is, and the New Jersey Devils uh, in the NHL. So he's coming from a sports background. Um, he seems ready to invest. Um, and I think it could be a, a good move for, for the club uh, and for him. Excellent, Ben, mate. Uh, any other parting observations for us? Any little tidbits you've got up your sleeve before we wrap it up? I don't think so, really, other than if you haven't seen Neymar's goal against Villarreal last week. Um, that is a, a YouTube-worthy moment for any football fan. Okay, we definitely will. So, Ben Sorrow Perez, great insights yet again. We'll look forward to seeing you again next week. Lovely. Thanks for having me. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. And you are with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley on Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport on digital radio, streaming on the NTS app. You can also search for us on NTS on Tuning Radio. And now the fourth official puts the board up. There's 10 minutes left of the program. Welcome back to the enigmatic Mark Van Aken with Stoppage Time. Thanks for that. Now, first up, what constitutes a derby, gents, in, in your mind? Maybe Melbourne versus Sydney Edge, oh, perhaps something right. like that. No, no, it's got to, I think it's got to be the same city... Um, oh, come on, guys. Tongue in cheek here, please. Rob. Moving right along. Lucky you're on the other side of the booth here, mate. Absolutely. Mate, it is a, the definition. Game between two rivals of close geographical proximity are usually called the local derby or simply just the derby. Now, that's from Wikipedia, so it must be right. Uh, <laughs> nothing gets my blood boiling, Rob and Mike, like people calling Real Madrid versus Barca a derby. It's a massive game. It's the Classico, but it's not a derby. Nor is victory versus the Sky Blues. Graham, how does the build-up to the big blue compare with 
with, um, say, the, the local derby against the Wanderers? Is there a different sort of feel to it? Yeah, a different feel, mainly because it's uh, you know, city against city, where uh, with the Wanderers it's uh, cross-town rivals. But, you know, this is probably the big derby before the Wanderers came in. It was uh, it's the two biggest clubs up against each other, and <clears throat> two clubs that have done a, a lot for the A League and uh, two of the most successful clubs in the A League. So, you know, it's a, it's a rivalry that's been born since day one of the A League, and uh, it's no different. Arnie, decorated Socceroo, fantastic coach, championship coach. But I've got to tell you, mate, Big Blue's a big game. Might be the biggest in the league, but it ain't a derby. Am I right, Rob? Come on. Yeah, I do agree with you. A derby in any sense of the word is obviously two teams from the same town. Champing and, uh, at the bit for tomorrow night, but it's not a derby. They struggle for a crowd in the eastern suburbs from time to time. He might have been talking that up. Well, it's funny. Graham Arnold obviously has been sort of been a bit of a scallywag in recent weeks, really getting stuck into opposition teams. He's actually uh, actually talking up the victory this week and saying that's where they want to be at. So he's been very uh, diplomatic, which is not like Arnie. But anyway, it's one thing about Arnie. I think he's starting to to mellow. Well, I think he's but he just... hasn't been for the rest of the season. Is I... Mellow this week? Is he scared of Muskie? Yeah, I don't know. Mellow wasn't the word I was going to use. He's starting <laughs> to become uh, a bit of a a dollar quote kind of guy. He, <laughs> he's never really been like that, has he? He's a, he's always been a bloke that just gets the job done, gets out there, uh, stays a little below the radar. But he's he's sort of becoming a bit Jose Mourinho esque. You know what it is, Mike? What happened last week with uh, Arnie? Did someone did someone quite important tell him to pipe down? I think uh, Chairman Frank had a few words of, to Graham, and I think uh, he took that in his stride. And good on him too. Arnie is great for the comp. He's great for the league. We love him. Um, go for it, Graham. But uh, one thing it ain't is a derby. Thank you, thank you, Michael. Now, Socceroos game last night. Of course, uh, they they muttered and sputtered for the first half. Got the job done in the end. I've got to say, there's some public transport issues in Canberra. Now, I've only been to Canberra once. It's a weird kind of place. It's not really one place. It's five or six satellite little cities bunched together. GIO Stadium is part of the AOS out there. It's out in the middle of nowhere. We had travelling fans having to get off buses and run the final 2Ks of the stadium just to get there in time. Canberra, come on. Was there a reason for that, though? They might have been at the the nuclear sub a little bit too long, but seriously, I I just know from the positioning of that place, it's just not central um, for travelling fans, which is the reason Canberra's paying money to FFA to get the game there. They want the travelling fans. Well, I can tell you what, I've spoken to plenty overnight. They won't be getting them back. And what about Anne? She was filthy about the state of the pitch. Yeah, he was, but uh, from what I saw, it looked fine. So uh, I think they finally, as they say, be all right in the night, and that's what's uh, happened. Where do they play, Mark? GIO Stadium. Uh... Or isn't Canberra it, Stadium, isn't I like it to Bruce call it. Stadium? Bruce Stadium is what it was, and it changed its name to Canberra Stadium, and then they finally got a sponsor. So why do you call it GIO Stadium? Why well, wouldn't you call it Canberra would you rather Stadium? rather I call it Baytech Arena. Zing. Okay, moving on. <laughs> little backhander there for you. David Moyes given the flick at Rail Sociedad this week. Who saw that? Who thought? Who saw that coming? I mean, it just seemed a natural fit, you know. Moisey in the Liga, didn't it? No, there's a the real Sociedad have got a, a long history of of uh, coaches from the uh, English Premier League, the Barclays Premier League. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, the Premier Little League. Little The Baytech uh, Premier League. <laughs> it was Baytech, wasn't it? It was Baytech for a very short period of time. Very, very Baytech short. Broke mark. Little Geelong joke there, folks. Uh, where to next? One great stadium for football in Geelong. By it the is way. great. It Melbourne is, Victory get it. Might, there might be one a, game a year. There might be an a, there might be a Hyundai A League game there one day. <laughs> anyway, Swansea, Celtic, Chelsea, or Stevenage. Where will he end up? Stevenage for sure. Brighton, Hove Albion. Could be Brighton and Hove Albion. He could. Knows? What about Hume City? Hey, Which hey, is Brighton on on track to get up to the Prem the way they're going? So, uh, what if? Well, our, but I wonder if our A League expert would take take him on at Hume City. 
Do you reckon he would? Well, Dino's it? behind the glass. He can't talk. Yeah, you can't hear. Yeah, well, fair enough. He like, probably would, like actually. space. No one can hear him. I think Lewisewski would probably get the bullet for David Moyes. I, now, I think that would happen. Now, Mark, you came in um, with uh, your rather large hanky that looked like a sheet from your double bed, uh, weeping crocodile tears about the condition of your old mate, Sepp Blatter. Oh, How are you feeling about that? Have so you upset. I'm so it? upset. Really? He's in hospital after what's been called a small emotional breakdown. It's understood he suffered what's been called a nervous shock, inverted commas, but he's expected to make a full recovery. Now, what would he have to worry about? What, what would be making him nervous at this stage? I, 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 can't, I don't, don't know. And I'll tell you what, though, if that full recovery comes, I'm willing to tip it comes after any impending court action. Look, I hear he's not that concerned about his job at FIFA. There's, There's a, a job going on somewhere. No, no, he's applied for the, the job running the um, IAAF, so he's well qualified <laughs> for that role. Well, he's going to be in hospital apparently until next Tuesday, so we'll see you next Tuesday, Sep. Um, I'm actually taking a collection for some flowers, maybe one of those Get Well Soon bears if you're interested, guys, after the show. What's happening next Tuesday, Mark? No, move on. Uh, Finally, on another note, now we've got uh, some audio for this, so we'll cue uh, Nigel, the producer, in a minute, but November 16 is Monday. Rob, can you think of any reason that's a special date? November 16 is Monday. It's five days after... Remembrance Day. Exactly. Um... Yeah, it's uh, 20, how or 30, 28 days before Christmas. It's your birthday. I don't know. No, anyway. Michael, Rob, it is 10 years since that night in Homebush where the Socceroos... Oh, that's, I've disgraced myself you because have. I was there that night and I should have picked that up the moment that you said it. They broke Forgive the 32-year duck. Socceroos fans, it was a moment in time. Now, FFA media whiz Ben Coonan has pieced together an amazing doco on this, gents, which airs Monday night on Fox Sports at 9pm Eastern Time and on SBS at the family-friendly time of Wednesday at 11pm. Let's have a listen to the trailer. This is obviously done for for TV, but you'll get the gist. It is absolutely goosebump-raising. We knew we had a lot of ability in the team. And he said, don't tell him, don't say a word to him. It's not a decision you make in one split second. I didn't want to go through that pain again. Too many knives in my heart. Just remarkable scenes and remarkable noise. This is going to be heck of a right. It was, it was different. And I reckon they would have probably been shocked at it. No, we're not backing down. We're ready for this this time. Redemption. It's my time. One of our players had one of their players by the throat. It didn't feel like there was anyone in the stadium. What a piece that is. I think we'll all be watching that. We've all got our own memories of that night. Mine were that we, as a broadcaster, broadcast the game, and Frank Farina was not long gone uh, and having vacated the post for Gus Hiddink, and he was our special comments guy. Uh, there, were no, there weren't enough uh, broadcast boxes at Stadium Australia on the night, so they put us in a, uh, in a corporate box to call the game amidst all of the, the corporates. And, uh, and when we won, Frank was just hugging and kissing everybody. <laughs> I had the good fortune to actually be on the ground doing special comments colour for the broadcast and uh, I, I recall distinctly seeing in the pandemonium of the stadium there was 
one man standing there with his arms folded. And I just recall looking at him thinking, this is a guy who thinks the job's not yet done. And that was Gus Hiddink. And what a night it was. He was right. The job wasn't yet done. And uh, geez, that story, it went right through to the quarterfinals. Francesco Totti, we know how it ended. It just could have gone even further than, than what it did. But what a moment in time. Well, for me, it was the fan reaction. I can just remember in George Street in the city about an hour and a half after the game, um, traffic standstill, uh, people bouncing on the tops of bus shelters like they were trampolines. The, 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 you know, the emotion was just absolutely fantastic. It, w- it was great. I can't wait to watch this. Uh, that got my blood going. It's, uh, it's, it is a moment in time for a football fan. And remember Craig Foster, the only words you could come <laughs> up with. Johnny Warren! Guys, my memory of that night was being in the home end, right at the back, on the runway there, in the fetal position. I, I can't watch penalty shootouts at that sort of level. Uh, it was just too nerve-wracking. And the other bit of footage, if you look back, uh, a good friend of mine, Aaron Zonetti, was the only bloke to actually jump over the fence. You see it on the footage every time. And security set upon him, and very quickly they pulled him back over. the. F- a couple of his mates, including me, pulled him back over. So... Magic night. There'll never be a night like it. There was no chanting in the stadium because the whole stadium was just noise. It was like a jet engine. It was absolutely unbelievable. Um, In some ways, we'll never see that again because it was 32 years just let out at once. It was magnificent, wasn't it? So that is Box to Box, guys, yet for another week. Join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other on News Talk Sport NTS with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley. Talk to you next week.